You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Acts. Come you sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now, full of pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able, He calls you now. Even Festus in today's scripture says that Jesus died. So Jesus' death is undeniable. And that's why we look at the cross this morning. That's why we point to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at it. What do you see? It is empty. It is empty of Jesus' body, but it is full of promises. It is full of promises. The cross is full of promises because in there is hope. Hope for you and me. The cross is full of the promise of hope. The empty cross, the promise is that you and I are forgiven. Your Christian faith may be doubted or criticized by skeptics today who call into question the very core of your belief. In today's message, Pastor Dave establishes how the resurrection gives us assurance because it can be trusted as both a historical fact and a personal promise. Now here's Pastor Dave with part two of his message entitled, The Crux of the Argument, from Acts chapter 25, verses 13 through 27. Paul links the resurrection to salvation in, in Romans 10.10. 10. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that what? God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that latter part, God raised him from the dead, becomes linked to salvation. It's part of our salvation message. So you realize not much has changed in 2,000 years. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is still the crux of many arguments you can have with skeptics and atheists. The resurrection is the key to the Christian faith, and it's also the key argument of skeptics and atheists who attacked it. Why? Because if you prove the resurrection untrue, Christianity is destroyed. Prove the resurrection untrue, there we have nothing. Absolutely no hope whatsoever. Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Easter. And in this, he says this, quote, The resurrection is the linchpin of the Christian faith. After all, anyone can claim to be the Son of God, but if someone could substantiate that assertion by returning to life after being certifiably dead and buried well, that would be a compelling confirmation that he was telling the truth. Don Stort, in his book, The Case of Christianity, a cross-examination, says this, quote, The cornerstone of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Without the resurrection, Christianity has no meaning for humanity. Its founder would have been made a liar and a failure. And its followers are men and women who have no hope. Thus, the importance of the resurrection of the Christian faith cannot be overstated. The argument against Christianity that comes against us can be found in basically three points. For you note-takers. Three points. Number one... Did Jesus die? Number two, was his body really not in the grave? In other words, was the tomb empty? And number three, was he indeed seen alive after his death on the cross? Was he seen alive by eyewitnesses? Remember, Judaism law was quite clear. In order to prove something true, it had to be come before two or three witnesses when you went to a a court. So first things first. Before you can have a resurrection from the dead, you must have a death. There has to be a death. Remember that I said that God gave us 
emptinesses that were full of promise. That statement brings us to the emptiness of the cross. Emptiness of the cross. You know, there are many theories about Jesus' death. We don't have time to go through a lot of them, but let me just bring a couple of them to your attention. Did you know that in the famous book, the Koran, it denies the death of Jesus on the cross? The Koran denies the death of Jesus on the cross. In fact, look it up for yourself, because when I read this, I went back to the Koran and I looked it up myself. It's Surah 4, Numbers 156 and 157. It says that Jesus did not die on the cross. And then there's this swoon theory. This swoon theory simply states that Jesus didn't really die, but he was given some sort of a drug or he fainted because of lack of blood. And then when they laid him in the cool, dark, damp cave, tomb, he came alive again. Like I said, there are many others. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus really did die. And I can say that because it's a historical fact. It is an historical fact. Most scholars in their quest for the historical Jesus consider the crucifixion indisputable. Indisputable. Let me give you a couple of them. Professor and author Bart Aram states that the crucifixion of Jesus on the orders of Pontius Pilate is the most certain element about him. Historian John Dominic Croson states that the crucifixion of Jesus is as certain as any historical fact can be. And John P. Meyer, a historical researcher, views the crucifixion of Jesus as a historical fact and states that based on the criterion of embarrassment, Christians would not have invented the painful death of their leader. Jesus' death is recorded in every single gospel. John's account being probably the best. Why? He was an eyewitness. John was an eyewitness. He was there. It was right before the cross. Roman soldiers, they were eyewitnesses. They testified of his death. They knew he was dead. Even Festus in today's scripture says that Jesus died. So Jesus' death is undeniable, and that's why we look at the cross this morning. That's why we point to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at it. What do you see? It is empty. It is empty of Jesus' body, but it is full of promises. It is full of promises. The cross is full of promises because in there is hope, hope for you and me. The cross is full of the promise of hope. The empty cross, the promise is that you and I are forgiven. You and I are forgiven by the empty cross because it was on the cross that Christ paid the penalty for our sin. I said it a politically incorrect word, sin. But the simple fact of the matter is we've all sinned, every one of us. We've all missed the mark that was set by God. You, me, the person sitting next to you, the person sitting behind you, the person driving along the street, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The only person that ever walked a sinless life was Jesus Christ. Everyone else failed. Here's the problem. According to God's law, which we've been studying in Exodus, according to God's law, we know that his law is righteous and just, and he must judge us by his law. So according to his law, the wages of our sin is death. He even says that the soul that sins will surely die. But we know that God's judgment is righteous and just. And because we've sinned, we know that we deserve God's punishment. We deserve eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. Well, I said another politically incorrect word. Hell. 
However you look at the empty cross, it's a reminder of God's promise to us. It's a reminder of God's promise to us that we have been forgiven. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. God's word tells us clearly that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It was on the cross that Christ offered a perfect sacrifice, a perfect and sinless life on behalf of each one of you. Nobody else could do that. Not one other person could do that. Abraham, David, Isaiah, Muhammad, Buddha. No one else ever lived a perfect life and then offered that perfect light for someone's salvation. Jesus was the only one that ever did that. That's why the Bible tells us that there is no other name given under heaven by which man may be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ breathed those last words and cried out, it is finished, the penalty was paid. On the cross, the empty cross, it was there that his blood was spilt for our salvation. Yeah, he died on that cross. He indeed died. See, then when he died, he was buried. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know that usually after death, the burial takes place. So if Jesus did not indeed die, why would they bury him? Why would they go about wrapping him in the burial cloths, putting the ointments on him? Why would they go through this entire process of, of doing this if Jesus was not indeed dead? The Gospels tell us clearly that he was taken down from the cross and certain women attended to his body for the funeral. Then we're given another historical fact in the Gospels. A tomb was donated by Joseph of Arimathea and they laid Jesus in this tomb. Another historical fact. Even Josephus mentions this. It's another historical fact that people overlook. This is not just myth. This is history. This is fact. An apologist by the name of William Craig Lane said this, the historical reliability of the story of Jesus' burial supports the empty tomb. Then Lane uses Mark's gospel, Mark's account, because it was one of the very earliest written, and it was said to have been written by an eyewitness. Hmm, who could that be? Well, we know Mark's gospel they think, was basically Peter's gospel. And when we read in the scripture, it says the other disciples watched from afar off. Peter was watching from afar off. He did see it. He watched from a distance. Lane continues and he says this, quote, Paul, when writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5, quotes an old Christian tradition that he received from the earliest disciples, probably received the tradition no later than his visit to Jerusalem in AD 36, which you can see in Galatians 1.18, if not earlier in Damascus. It therefore goes back to within the first five years after Jesus' death. What does it say? For I delivered to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then the twelve. See, Christ was placed in the tomb. A very large stone was placed in front of it. However, when the women came back the next day, it was empty. The stone had been rolled away, and Jesus' body was missing. Now, skeptics will claim, just as, as we, we find in Scripture, the disciples stole the body. But skeptics claim that what happened to Jesus' body is still a mystery, just like a mystery of any missing body that goes on. You know, sometimes people do misplaced bodies. Unfortunately, it happens. But Lane, again, refers to the historical account given to this. He said that there are no less than six accounts of the empty tomb. Six accounts. And some of them are found in the very earliest material of the New Testament. 
I love this. Lane says, historians think that they have hit Peter when they have two independent accounts of the same event. But in the case of the empty tomb, there's six. There's six accounts. So we have evidence of Jesus' death. The historical fact of the burial. The empty tomb. And finally, we have Jesus being seen by no less than 500 people. Witnesses. Remember I said, in order to prove something in Judaic law, you need to have one or two witnesses? Well, what about 500? What about 500? Lane again says this, quote, Paul's list of eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection and his appearances guarantee that such appearances occurred. So, so why is the resurrection the crux of argument against Paul and against Christians today? Why is it still the argument? We all know that Christianity sprang up sometime in the midway through the first century A.D. Why did it come into existence? What caused this movement to begin? Even skeptical New Testament scholars recognize that the Christian faith owes its own origin to belief of the earliest disciples that God raised Jesus from the dead. The truth of the matter, that Jesus was raised from the dead. These earliest disciples knew that Jesus was God's Messiah, the Anointed One. The son of the living God. See, we've talked about this before. Most of the Jews at that time had no conception of what a Messiah would be or who it would be. Instead of triumphing over their enemies, a Messiah would be shamefully put to death. The Messiah was supposed to be a triumphant figure. He was going to command the respect of Jews and Gentiles. He was going to establish David's throne forever. A Messiah who failed to deliver and, and, and deran a Messiah who was defeated, humiliated, and slain by his enemies? This was a contradiction of terms according to Jewish belief. See, it's so difficult to overemphasize what a disaster the crucifixion was for the disciples' faith. They couldn't believe it either. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? All hope was gone. They couldn't believe that Jesus had died. They couldn't believe that he was going to set up, didn't set up his kingdom. See, but the truth of the matter is that the resurrection erased and reversed the catastrophe of the crucifixion because God had raised Jesus from the dead. He was then seen as the Messiah. He was seen as the one that would come. Acts 2, when Peter gave his first sermon, Peter proclaims this on Pentecost. This man, he says, this man that God raised, let the entire house of Israel know was certainly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, which means Messiah, this Jesus whom you'd crucified. It was on the basis of this belief in the resurrection that the disciples now could believe in Jesus as the Messiah. See, this is what Paul's being persecuted for. He's proclaiming that Jesus died. He's proclaiming that, that Jesus was buried. And he was the one who proclaimed and affirmed that Jesus was alive because he saw him on the Damascus road. Christ appeared to him. Christ spoke to him. And Paul is certain of this. It's no surprise that Jesus' resurrection was the universal in the early church. Paul quoted the traditional formula in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7. We talked about it. We read it. In the gospel is defined as the death, burial, resurrection, and appearances of Christ. This shows that the understanding of the gospel goes all the way back to the very beginning of Christianity. But yet we're still being hounded by it. We're still being questioned by it. It has been historically proven that Jesus indeed died on a Roman cross and buried in a tomb. 
Eyewitness after eyewitness say they saw him, they touched him, they ate with him after the resurrection. There's an abundance of evidence in these facts, historical proof. A prominent Bridges theologian, Michael Green, said this, quote, the appearances of Jesus are as well authenticated as anything in antiquity. There can be no rational doubt that they occurred and that the main reason why Christians became sure of the resurrection in their earliest days was just this. They could say with insurance, we have seen the Lord. They knew it was He. We have seen the Lord. You might be sitting there thinking, well, that works pretty good for them. That works really good for them because they saw the risen Lord. I don't know about you guys, but the risen Lord hasn't appeared to me. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen him in the flesh. He hasn't appeared in my prayer closet. He hasn't appeared anywhere in my times in the flesh. But I know he's there. I know he's with me. I have his word that says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I have his promises that he's always with me. I have his promise of the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, who testifies of him, who, who testifies of Christ in my life. Without the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't even know Jesus. I wouldn't even know who Jesus was. The, t the Holy Spirit brings me to the truth, the truth of his word, and, and shows me the glory, shows me how to live my life, shows me how to walk in oneness with him. I know he's alive. But Jesus himself, Jesus himself addressed this very problem. Jesus himself, you know the story. Thomas, Thomas in John 20, unless I see the nail prints, unless I see the side, I'm not going to believe. Jesus appears. Yo, Tom, come here. Put your hand here. Put your hand here. Thomas falls to his knees and says, my Lord. Jesus didn't refuse his worship. My Lord and my God. But then he said something so special to Thomas so special to Thomas that should make our hearts soar, which gives us all the hope, all the hope for everyone who would follow Thomas and not see the risen Lord, everyone who would come through the ages for over 2,000 years who wouldn't gaze on those eyes, who wouldn't see that face, who wouldn't touch him, who wouldn't sup with him, all those ones who would come after, including you and I. This gorgeous passage in John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. Oh, man. Because you've seen me, you believe, Thomas. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. It's us. Because that blessed means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy we are because we believe in him. We place our faith in him. For what is faith? What is faith? Well, we know the author of Hebrews tells us what faith is. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, somebody can come with me and come at me with all sorts of literature and all sorts of things proclaiming that Jesus didn't die. Proclaiming that he was not buried. Proclaiming that he did not rise from the dead. But in my heart, I know he did. Because my faith is not in vain. My faith is based on the fact that he did die on that cross that day. He was buried in that cold, dark tomb. But on the third day, God himself, through the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead. 
And he lives and rules today and is seated on the right hand of God the Father. And he's intercessing for me. He's intercessing for you. And everyone, everyone, do you understand what I said? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say everyone except a few of the people. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Everyone. I know he lives because in his word he's alive. And he's left me his word to read and to glean of it and to know his character and to know his beauty and to see him. I know he lives. How about you? You made some sort of a decision or have you come to a verdict about Jesus? Maybe you're still skeptic. Maybe you thought, no, this is all great for you, but it's okay with your religions on you, but that's good that you believe that. I love that, those answers. I challenge you. I challenge you to seek the truth for yourself. I challenge you to seek the truth for you. Not because I said so. I challenge you to seek it for you, your truth. And do it honestly. Don't do it half-heartedly. Do it honestly. Seek the truth. The reason I'm saying this is because if you haven't come to a, 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 a saving faith in Jesus Christ, there's a lot riding on your decision that you're going to make. And there's a lot riding on this research that you're going to do in this challenge. Eternity. Lee Strobel again wrote this, quote, If Jesus is indeed the Son of God, then your eternity hinges on how you respond to Him. Jesus Himself said in John 8.24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sin. A horrible thought. Horrible, horrible thought. We lost two beloved people within a week. We lost them. But they are in such glory. They are standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords now, worshiping Him. They've been received in paradise. And therein lies our hope. Take away the resurrection, you take away that hope. Can't help but think of my buddy Job. When he stood there that day and he said, I know my Redeemer lives. And I will stand with him one day. Wow, what a glorious statement of faith. Can you say that? Can you say that statement of faith? I know my Redeemer lives and I will stand with Him one day. I will be with Him and I am certain of that. I am assured of that because the Word of God tells me so and my heart tells me so and everything I've learned, I'm going through it. I'm not doing it because someone else is doing it. I'm doing it because it's real to me. Can you say that? I, I hope you can. I really do. We study these scriptures for a reason. We study these scriptures so that you will be drawn closer to our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, because in the volume of this book, it speaks of Him. The entire volume. We've been learning that as we go through Exodus. Jesus appears on every single page. Every single page of the book, He's there. Pastor Dave will continue teaching through the book of Acts the next time you join us. You know, programs like Cape Watch Radio can be a huge blessing that God uses in the lives of countless people. But we must always be careful about just hearing God's Word. Remember what James said? Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, 
He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. As you join us each day here on Cape Watch Radio, it's our hope and prayer that you would not only hear God's Word, but that you would do God's Word, that you would take the lessons that you're learning here on Cape Watch Radio and apply them to your everyday life. And we want to help you to continue to apply God's Word to your life. We have resources to help you in this journey. Log on to www.capewatchradio.com and there you'll find helpful tools that you can use as you study God's Word. Again, our web address is www.capewatchradio.com or you can always give us a call. Our phone number here at Cape Watch Radio is 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. And don't forget to place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Dave continues teaching through the Word of God. That's all the time we have for today. May God bless you as you continue to listen to Cape Watch Radio.